the hardest part of their job is not going off to different countries and eating, learning to at least pretend like you enjoy weird food or learning a new language. Or anything. The hardest part of their job is talking to people about money. They, they, they did not particularly enjoy that. It's just the way things are, uh, the way we do things. And I would like you to prayerfully consider supporting Melissa on a, on a monthly basis. And, and if you go, whoa, 100, I can't do it. Well, okay. If you do less, you do less. It just takes more people. And if you can do more, it takes less people. And, and I know that would be awesome because it's a great ministry. And uh, so we highly encourage you to be involved in it. All right, we're in a, uh, a series on 1 John. And uh, today what we're going to do is it's, it's almost like today we kind of we're moving into a new section, but we kind of stop for a second and assess and think about where we've been and implications of where we've been. And then the next time we, we get together, I will take this exact same passage and we're going to just delve even deeper because this is a powerful passage that uh, is important for us to spend a little bit of time in. Um, when I teach... Uh, teaching expositorily, teaching from books of the Bible, you always have this constant tension of you want to go at least fast enough that you don't spend years and years and years in the same book because you want people to experience different books of the Bible and be taught and that type of thing. But also you want to take the time to actually dig more than just the surface. And so I'm always wrestling with that. I'm always, and, and today is a part of that, that wrestling. Let me read the passage to you. Verses 15, 16, and 17 of 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The woman who does the will of God lives forever. All right, so John is, is teaching them something very important here because he's, he's been talking about intimacy with God. He's been talking since the very beginning. The intimacy with God is possible. There is this tremendous a joy that you can have as a child of God that is possible for you. But his point is many are not experiencing that. And he's saying because it's, it's a fellowship with God. It's a relationship with God. And he's saying it's possible. And then he's talking to them because many don't experience it. Maybe sometimes we get little glimpses and we just want more. And he's telling them it is possible. And it's predicated on something that's very key that is the core and the character of God. God is light. And he says it very strongly. I know I emphasize it, but he says it in the Greek. He puts a double emphasis on it. He says God is light and in him is light. None, no darkness, and then he says it again, none. He emphasizes it very strongly. So there's a very key thing for us to grapple with, that God is light, and that we, when we walk in the light, things are exposed. And so then he goes through and says, this is what happens. You confess. You agree with God. You confess that. You see what the implications of what you've done, what they are, and it's horrifying and so then he keeps moving and he goes into chapter two and he begins to talk to them about different stages of life. We just talked about that last week. And so this is key. We're all, all that we're gonna talk about today, there are some key points that undergird all of this. First of all, the word of God needs to be working in our life. 
And secondly, the Spirit needs to be working in our life. Now, John has just told us that, that the Spirit is in us and wants to work. And so this is very key for us as we, we move into this because he's talking about, in verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. And I want you to see the first point here. I'm, I'm going to talk about five things. It's on your sheet so you can follow along. Why we should not love the world. All right? The, the world system is really what. But first one is because of what it is. All right? So let's talk about that for a second because it's key for us to understand what he's talking about when he says the world here. It's a system. It's an arrangement that promotes certain values. It is structured. And, and if you, if you, we, we, we use this word this way all the time. We talk about the world of finance. We talk about the world of sports. We talk about the world of politics. And so specifically here, what is he talking about? He's talking about a spiritual system oftentimes a cultural system headed by Satan designed to draw people from experiencing God's love, to draw them away from experiencing God's love and God's will for their life. There is a system out there that is, if you are a Christian, if you're trying to follow Jesus Christ, that system is at odds with you and it is trying to pull you. And we see it all the time, all around. This should not be news to any of us. But I want you to remember here, he's not saying don't use the things of the world. He's not saying don't enjoy things. He's not saying don't benefit from things. He's saying don't love it. And that's very key. Don't love it. Because to love it means that it affects you. It determines your decisions because it owns your affections. When you love something, it owns your affections. That's why, and we've talked about this before, when you decide to be a loving person, you make yourself vulnerable. If you decide to love another person totally, you open yourself up to being hurt. That's the price of love. You can be hurt. If you decide to love other people and serve other people, you open yourself up. You become vulnerable. You open yourself up to being hurt. Understand that. That's the price of love. But it is the best way, God tells us. It is his way. Because that's what Jesus did. He has opened himself up to being hurt. All right? So that's what, that's what we're talking about here. A Christian understands this. A Christian sees there is this world out here. But also, we know there's something bigger. There's something bigger than just this system, this world that's around us. There is a world to come. And the idea is that as a Christian, I begin to allow the world to come to influence what I do. And I uh, allow the world that is to come to change me and how I view things. Because when you begin to view the world to come, then it changes what you do on this world. Suddenly you become a person who will serve. Suddenly you become a person who's willing to be even radically generous. Because this, is not, this world is not that important that way. Worldliness says That's all, this is all there is. Don't give your money away. Don't give your stuff away. That's crazy. But what we need to do as Christians, we need to start thinking big picture. Think about this. What about your life right now will be true five billion years from now? What about your life right now? What part, what thing, whatever in your life right now will still be important five billion years from now? 
See, that's a sobering thought because if we believe there is a world to come, then five billion years from now, we're going to be able to look back and, and evaluate what we think right now. What am I doing right now that will impact me and other people even five billion years from now? What am I spending my money on now that will have any impact on people five billion years from now? That's a sobering thought. That's a hard thought, but it's something to think about because it's true. Now, I want to tell you, I, uh, I, uh, I was really tempted. Every once in a while, every once in a long while, I lay down here and we have a little therapy session together because it saves me a lot of money to not have to pay you for therapy and to be able to just talk because I found at times in therapy, all they do is go, uh-huh, keep talking, uh-huh, keep talking. And I go, wait a minute. I just talked, and I paid them to listen. So I can talk with you, and I don't even have to pay you. So thanks. And, and part of that is because I, you know, at, at this time of my life, I, I played a lot of sports when I was younger, and, and high school, college, all that stuff. And um, I'm finding now, I'm in my 60s, and my body is betraying me. It's like every once in a while, something will happen. I'm like, ah, I'm like, what's wrong with you? I'm just walking up a step, you stupid knee. You know, and, 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 and that is a sobering thing. And, and then there have been some emotional issues, you know, uh, things, death in a family, just different things like that in the past six months to a year. And, and I've found that I'm, I'm lately, I've been struggling. I've been struggling sometimes with being frustrated and upset and struggling sometimes with, with different things affecting me maybe more than they should. And, and then, so then I'm studying, I'm going through First John and I'm just going, oh, I'm such a loser. How can I stand in front of you? And teach this, but I'm struggling too. But see, that's exactly why I can stand in front of you and teach this. Because I'm struggling too. I know people here are struggling. And, and, and there are people here that are struggling with things that are far greater, far deeper, far more hurtful than what I'm struggling with. But I'm struggling too. And so sometimes I feel ill-equipped Ill to, to get up, you know, and, and I think that some is, you know, this world system. Who do you think you are? Bob, you get up in front of all these people and teach this? Maybe you should live it for a while first. You know, and, 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 and that, but I know, I need, I need to start thinking big picture. What am I doing right now that will impact people five billion years from now? Because that's what's gonna last. That's what's gonna last. We studied a while back the book of Ecclesiastes, and there is a part of Ecclesiastes that I love. Solomon is, is, is struggling with depression, and he's, he's dealing with all this stuff, and one of the things he says is, I got all this stuff, and it's going to get passed on after I leave, and those jerks that it's going to get passed on to, they won't realize how much work went into getting this, and they'll misuse it. I don't want them to have it. I don't want it to be passed on to them. He, he suddenly is, and, and what he's grappling with is, he says, I've done all this stuff and it'll be worthless five billion years from now. It won't amount to a thing. I'm just gonna give it to my stupid sons and they're gonna squander it all over the place. I know some of you are thinking, he's right. And some of you are sons and you're going, no, no, not me, dad. Not me, dad. <laughs> I appreciate what you've done. So I know how that works. This is why our money, our time, our effort needs to be invested in people because people will be around five billion years from now. Christians struggle with intimacy with God because they're already intimate with the world. 
and the world becomes their source of happiness, and the world becomes a determiner of identity. You have all kinds of things that are happening around you that are telling you who you are and what you are and what you're worth. But we just sang, I am who he says I am. And he is who he says he is. I'm defined by every word he says. His promises, that's who I am. Who God says I am. Because God will be around five billion years from now. And he says this is true about me now, and it's true about me in the world to come. I need to focus on that. All right, so why do we not love the world? Because of what it is. The second point, why do, and these tie in together very much. Because of who we are. Biblically, who we are. Now, I, I can't take a long time on that. I, I just, last week, what we talked about is we talked about three points. We said you have a secure position. You are secure in Jesus Christ. We said you have a power within you. The Holy Spirit is working in you. Third, we said you, we have this awesome privilege of having a relationship with God. Not just you know, knowing about him, but actually knowing him and he knows me. And the greatest part about this relationship is he really knows me and still loves me. Because that's always our fear, right? We always put up walls, we always put on masks because we're afraid if someone really knows us, our deepest and our darkest parts of our heart, they won't love us. They'll not want to be with us. And we're kind of right because I don't even like me sometimes. And so how would I expect anyone else to like me or even love me? And God says, I love you totally. I know every bit of, I know all the bad. I know all the good. Not much there. I know all the bad and I love you. We have this relationship. So that's who we are. And that's very important. If you weren't here, I, I, it's on our website. I encourage you to listen to it. This is and, and looking at everything John has said, he's saying, look, this is who you are. And, and last week we talked about infancy in Christ. We talked about this kind of middle age, this fighting time, the difficulties and de dealing with things. And we talked about towards people who have grown and who have matured where they're settled in their faith and they're strong and their feet are planted and they're not shaken. But one of the things I thought about with infancy, infancy is you can always tell an infant because the only time they eat is when someone else feeds them. You think about that. We have to be able to feed ourselves. We have devotional books in the back to help you learn to feed yourself. We have small groups to help you with that. You, you, there's all kinds of ways that we want to help you with that because you've got to move past being an infant. Sunday morning is not enough. It's not enough. All right, so do not love the world. Why? Because of what it is. Secondly, because of who we are. Thirdly, because of what it costs. And that's from verse 15 on your sheet. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And, and this is something that we have to really grapple with here. This is not necessarily, I don't think, dealing with salvation. It doesn't say God is, God is not in you. It says the love of the Father is not. You are not experiencing the love of the Father as God would like you to experience it. Your fellowship with him is affected. We often wonder why we're struggling. I often wonder why I'm struggling. Let me own it. But when you love the wrong thing, your relationship with God is affected. Fellowship is affected. Because the love of the world, 
and the love of God do not mix. Years ago, I shared with you, you know, this is, <laughs> this is for the older crowd. I used to own a Chevy Vega. If you don't know what a Chevy Vega is, look it up. It was, it was uh, a contemporary with the Ford Pinto, <clears throat> and it was no better. It had the same kind of gas tank the Ford Pinto had. It just didn't get in the news as much, so everybody thought the Vega was better. The problem with the Chevy Vega was they were trying out new things on the engine, and so the engines failed within 50,000 miles. So one day, I was checking my oil on my Chevy Vega, and there was this white, foamy, milkshake-looking stuff on the dipstick. And I was like, what in the world? That's freaky looking. So I took it to a mechanic, and uh, I showed him that, and he said, kiss it goodbye. And I'm like, what? What? He says, that white foam is water. And you have coolant leaking into your oil. Coolant is a terrible lubricator compared to oil. So your engine's wearing out faster. It means you've blown a head gasket. Maybe, maybe you've blown it. You know, he, says, he says, this engine is done. You know? He says, you can just go bury it. And I'm like, what? This is my car. It's how I get around. He says, okay. So I sold it. Um, I did sell it. That's the truth. <laughs> for, for like nothing, because <laughs> I showed the other person the dipstick, but they were like, oh, what does that mean? Nothing, nothing at all. Um, so the, this is the thing. It does, oil and water don't mix. It, it, if it gets in your engine, that's deadly for your engine. It's the beginning of the end. And so this is this, is this idea he's saying. We can't have the love of the world and the love of the, they don't mix. And so we don't love the world because because of what it costs us, we lose something. We lose this intimacy with God. He becomes more distant. And it's a terrible thing. Many of us, many of you have experienced it here on a human level. Uh, and there, there, was, there was a time in, in our marriage where my wife just confronted me and she said, we've lost something here. <clears throat> We're distant and this has to change. And she was right. I had to make changes in my life. We had to make changes because we wanted back what we had. We wanted that. Relationship, intimacy, love, joy. It was missing. That's what happens to us. We have to remember what it costs. The fourth thing, do not love the world because of what it is, because of who we are, because of what it costs, because of what it offers. That's from verse 16. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. He's saying, look, this is what comes with that. When you begin to love the world, this is what you get. And, and um, I'm doing a wedding next week. Jose is going to be, so pray for Jose. Jose is going to be teaching next week. But the following week, we're going to jump back into this and we're going to dig a little deeper. But I just for a moment want to hit on these things because these are very key. John hits some great, these are issues that are powerful. They're, they're very uh, poignant for us. They're very needed for us. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does, or some versions you'll say, you'll say the boastful pride of life. So, and, and I want to say something here real quick. We got, we're going to look in the Greek for just a moment, but this is because this is such a powerful word. The word that's translated cravings or lust 
is the word epithumia. There it is there. There it is in English, but also there it is in the Greek if you really want to take notes on that. Epithumia is two words. Thumia is this word for a desire. Thumia means passion. Now, anywhere in your Bible, in the New Testament, where you read lust, it's epithumia. And this is key. Thumia is a very, a desire. It's a passion. Epi is where we get the word epic. It means great. It means over the top. It means huge. And so it means almost like out of control. Passion. And that's the unfortunate thing. Everywhere in your Bible, you'll read lust and we think sex. And that's just a part of it. Epithumia is an out of control passion for anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, the wedding that I'm going to do this next, uh, next week um, is my niece and, and, and uh, her fiance. And I was talking to them and talking about we have this tendency when we love someone to put them on a pedestal. We have this tendency when we love someone to say, you make me feel so great. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. That's the worst thing you can do to someone you love. Let me tell you something. That's the worst thing you, because now you've put them on a pedestal and you've created an expectation that they cannot fulfill. You've put them where only God should be. Because when you tell someone, you're the greatest, you make me feel great. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Okay, what happens when they're not the best thing that's ever happened to you? What happens when you argue? What happens when you have a disagreement? What happens when you're seriously upset with each other? Well, then you go, you failed me. You failed me. And now, what have you done? You inflicted that on that person. You put them where they don't deserve to be. You gave them expectations they cannot fulfill. And then you tore them down in shame. That's what happens. Only God can be on that pedestal. And so, epithumia, an over-the-top desire, puts things where they shouldn't be puts things on a pedestal they don't deserve to be on. And it can be good things. It doesn't have to be bad things. It can be bad things, but it doesn't have to be bad things. It can be good things. So this is a key word. This is like totelestai. I talk about that all the time too. Key words in the Greek that are so important for us to know. Epithumia. Every time in the New Testament you read the word lust. Think over the top, out of control passion. Because that's what he's talking about. And so he's saying, it's this controlling desire. It's epic. And so the cravings of sinful man or the cravings of the sinful flesh is, sinful flesh, is this controlling desire of sinfulness. It'll take legitimate desires and it will attempt to fulfill them in illegitimate ways or attempt to get them to help fulfill you in illegitimate ways. It's like this. You have an appetite for food. You were created that way. But gluttony is epithumia. You have an appetite, we, we have to drink. All right, whatever. But drunkenness is epithumia. God has created this good thing called sex. But immorality or pornography is epithumia. God has created in you a desire for significance to do something important. He's created you to be a person who wants to make a difference in this world. But being a workaholic, 
being consumed by money, materialistic things, is epithumia. And it's a terrible thing. And everything that God has created, Satan has made a counterfeit based on what God created that becomes an epithumia for you and for me. When he says the lust of the eyes, the epithumia of the eyes, you know, Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, and John was there, that the eye is the gateway to the mind. And so this has this idea of thinking about something, even if you're not doing it, of fantasizing about something that is not permissible according to God. And people oftentimes then say, well, I was just thinking about it. I didn't do it. And Jesus says, no, I don't want you to think about it. It's the sinful desire to have simply because you see it. And I can struggle with that. When I was a kid, no, when I was a teenager, kid, my friends and I were into cars and motorcycles and muscle cars. And um, the other day I got something in, the, in my mail, and I think it was, I think it was uh, from Satan. Um, somehow my, uh, my email was, has been sold. I've, I look sometimes at, you know, at the hot rod stuff and everything. And, um, Lebanon Ford Performance of Lebanon, Ohio sent me a thing saying they would make me a Roush 800 power Mustang, 800 horsepower Mustang for $40,000. And that's total delivery. Now, a Mustang GT with 450 horsepower, which is not enough for me, um, <clears throat> is $35,000. And so they're saying, for just $5,000, we'll do the Roush treatment. It'll get, a, it'll get a turbocharger, and it'll make 800 horsepower at the rear wheels. What a deal. I mean, you know, any sane person here is like, Bob, buy it, right? Because I could, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and I started thinking about it. How much fun would that be? How many tickets would I get? <laughs> and I started thinking about it. And the more I thought about it, the more I started thinking, you know, well, you know, I guess if I... St st if I sold that, and I did that, and I started scheming, and all of a sudden, yeah, <laughs> and this is a great thing. It happened while I was in my office studying the other day. <laughs> so here I am. I got the Bible in front of me. Lust of the eyes. Yeah, that's, I better tell them about that. Wow, look at that Mustang. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus says, Bob, this is not productive for you. This is not going to help you. This is not important. It's not wrong for you to think about it. But when you start dwelling on it and you start scheming, you're pushing yourself towards something. So in the next year, if I end up driving here in a Mustang, you guys will know exactly what happened. <laughs> I fell into sin. All right. Or maybe someone bought it for me. That's another thought. No, no, really. No, no. Um, okay. I'm sorry, this is being stupid. So he says, he says the, the lust of the eyes. It's, it's that idea. I look, I see, I want. I see something on TV. I say, ah, oh, that looks great. I don't really need it. But it would be so fun to have. I'm willing 
take the money I don't have to buy the things I don't need to impress people I don't know. Sometimes I'm willing to do that. We see, we see in the Old Testament, there's a great part when the children of Israel move into the promised land and suddenly there's sin in the camp and, God's, and, and Achan steps up and said, it, they find out it was him and he says, it's because I saw it and then I desired. And he's saying, there's a process here. I saw it, it looked good and then I desired. And he says, so I took it. I took it. I, and he sealed his fate. And so, this is, this is part of it. The, then the third one in, this, in that thing is the boasting of what he has and does. This is that pride of life. This is that vain display, wanting to impress, wanting to show off. A desire for others to realize that I really am somebody, which kind of means I'm better than you. And you can't, I said before, you can't take it with you. All I have and all I will ever have is a gift from God. I have to keep that in my mind. All that I have and all that I will ever have is a gift from God. And I've talked about this before, but it's, it's, to me it's such a powerful statement. In, in, in uh, Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to the children of Israel and they've gone through some tests and they've failed some and they've kind of, oh, not too great on others. But he, then he's talking about the last test that's coming, and he, he mentions it in two different chapters. He kind of builds this case about this. He says, you're going to get to the promised land, and when you get the promised land, there's going to be fig trees that you didn't plant, but you will harvest the figs. And there's, because fig trees take a long time to grow. And there's going to be grapevines, which take a long time to grow. He said, you didn't plant them. It's going to be terraced. You didn't make those terraces, and those vines are growing, and you're going to harvest them. And you're going to have things, you're going to have things that you didn't buy, you didn't build, you didn't make, you didn't plant. And then he tells them, and then you're going to go, look what my hands have done. You're going to take credit for what God did. And he tells them, you're going to fail that test. And they're like, no, we won't fail it. You know, God is good. We will trust him. And Moses is going, no, you won't. And they didn't. And we don't. We take credit for what God has done. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, that's that boasting. It's that look at me. It's that look at who I am and what I've done. All right, so do not love the world because of what it is, because of who we are, because of what it costs, because of what it offers. And the fifth one is because of how long it lasts. And that's from verse 17. The world and its desires pass away. They are in the process of exiting. But the man, the woman who does the will of God lives forever. And what is he saying? There is more to life than this world. We have to understand that. We have to have that focus. We tend to be so totally focused on the world right here, right now, we miss the fact that there's something way bigger coming. And we're a part of it. This world's kind of like bush gardens. I love bush gardens. It's enjoyable. But no one lives there. You think about it. That's where you go when you stand an hour and a half in line to, to enjoy a 60-second thrill. And it's beautiful. But let me clue you in on something. It's not Europe. I've been to Europe. It's not Europe. 
I had somebody tell me one time, why go to Europe? I go to Bush Gardens. I'm like, oh my goodness, okay. I'm not even sure how I'm going to reason with you on this one. It's okay to go, but it's not the real world. Everybody is artificially nice. The place is artificially clean. All, it's just that way. And the deeper your commitment to the age have come, the less you will feel deprived when you don't get something in the, right here, right now. Um, we used to take trips. Uh, we'd get on 95 South and go forever and then head over and go see my parents in, uh, my parents were in LA, which is lower Alabama. Um, and so we would drive down and any of you who have been down on 95, you know about 100 miles from the North Carolina, South Carolina border, you start seeing signs. You see signs for this. Yep. South of the border. And my kids, when they were little, they thought this was pretty close to heaven. They'd never been there, right? They'd never stopped there. But the signs, the signs, and, 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 and when they were, a couple of them were so young, they couldn't read. They'd be like, Daddy, read the sign, read the sign, you know? And it'd be all those, you know, chilly today, hot tamale, you know, all those stupid signs, you know? And, and I would tell them, look, you know, we're going to Granny and Big Dad's. Big Dad's got a boat. We're going to ride in a boat. That's going to be so fun. He's got a big lawnmower. He's going to tow you around on his lawnmower. That's going to be so fun. We're going to do this. You know, Granny's going to spoil you. She's going to give you whatever you want. She's going to treat you like your kings and queens. And it takes us a month to break you of the bad habits that you'll pick up from them. But that's going to be a blast. South of the border's fake. It's false. There's nothing there you want. At one time, they convinced us to go. So we went right to where that sign is. And we went right. And I said this, because when we would start a trip, I'd hand each of my kids $2 and we'd go into 7-Eleven. You could get anything you want for $2, and then we're not getting out of the car for five hours, just so you know that. And they would go in, and it would take them like 20 minutes. I have one of these. One, no, no, not this. You know, and then you get the whole, Dad, it's 2.04. Yes, okay, that's fine. So I gave them each. I said, I'm going to give you $2. You can go in there and buy anything you want. There was nothing in there that you could buy for $2. It was all cheap junk, and our kids were so disappointed. They were like, this place is not that good. They just have a lot of signs. And I said, that's it. That's it. This is not heaven. We're heading down to heaven. That's where Granny and Big Dad live. We're going to go there. That's going to be awesome. And so I tell them, focus on what's coming. Not on this you know, splashy thing that's in your face. We are all little kids and we're on 95 and we're on our way to heaven and we're getting distracted by stupid splashy signs to places that are tourist traps. And we have to understand that. This is not, there's so much going on around us. It's not what's real. I mean, it's real in a sense, but it's not what God says is important. Don't love the system that is this world. Now, real quick, I'm gonna just jump fast on this. This comes to a question then, a reasonable question. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Bob, is this the same world? Okay, no, it's not. It's, this, this word cosmos that is used, it's used in different ways in different places throughout Greek literature also, but also in the word of God. And so what you do is you figure out from the context, what is he talking about? Because we are to love 
the world if we're talking about the people of this world. Even God loves this material world. You know, we saw when we studied Jonah, God said, so, he, he said, look, even the cattle, I'm concerned about them. Even the animals. So God has this, this, this sense that he loves this world. He sent his son to die for this world. And so we got to understand the difference and we got to understand what, the, how that impacts us. So here we go. If we're going to say, do love the world, what are the things we're supposed to love? Do love the world, number one, because people are made in the image of God. God is a rational being and he made us rational beings. God is a personal being and he made us people who are personal beings. God is a creative being and he made us to be creative. God is a moral being. He made us to be moral beings, to understand morality. And on and on, and we can just go on and on and on, these lists of characteristics of God that we reflect in him. And so we come to a verse like James, James 3, 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. He's, you realize what he's saying there. He's saying when you curse men, when you belittle and mock and demean other people, you are trampling on the image of God because they're created in his image. So you can't, oh, Lord, I just thank you for this, and that guy's an idiot. You can't do that. He says that's not how it works. We have to love lost people. We have to start on this basis. They're made in the image of God. And so to mistreat them, to disrespect them, is to do the same to God. And we have to honor the needs and rights of people because not to do so is to actively dishonor God, to work against his will. And so in a very real way, when you dishonor other people, you are placing yourself in opposition to God. You're dishonoring him because they're made in his image. All right? So we need to love the world in this sense because people are made in the image of God. Secondly, because we're charged with taking care of this world. God gave Adam and Eve a job at the beginning. He said they were given dominion. And this is something key for us to understand what it's talking about. I think it, it helps to think of it this way. As God's image bearers in this creation, we're intended to act as his representatives. We were designed when we get right with God, to reflect him, to show others this is kind of what God looks like. And so when God gave us the command to have dominion, to rule over the earth, the expectation is we do it in a way that reflects his character, just like he wants us to do in our personal lives. When I would ask a babysitter to watch my kids, I wouldn't say, you can just do whatever you want. What time do they go to bed? Ah, don't worry about it. I'll let them stay up as late as they want. Well, is there something special? No, there's some cake there. Just feed them that for dinner. Just run amok. I don't care. No, no. I wanted, I wanted this, this person, whoever he or she was, to maintain the sense of family, to act as, in a sense as my representative, my wife's representative, and keep things under control in our house. Didn't always work out real well, but that was the expectation. And the problem is, in a sense, instead of exercising our dominion to cultivate the earth, we simply want to conquer it. And how we take care of the earth does reflect his character. God does care about the material world. We have to be careful on this one. Because to not care about the material world leads to dangerous thinking. It leads to what the Gnostics believed. 
And John is spending time dealing with them because they de-emphasized the material aspect of the world and of their bodies. And it still goes on today. There are some great thinkers who still go that way. One of them is, is Yoda um, from The Empire That Strikes Back. If you, if you remember this scene, and I'm, of course all of you do, um, he's talking to them about, he's talking to him about the force and how the force is unseen, but it is this incredible power and it affects things. He says, the force is very important. And, he, and then he touches him, he says, not this crude matter, not this crude matter. You see what he's teaching there? He's going right to the Gnostics. He's saying, material, no, that's not important. Just, just the spiritual is important. And the Bible refutes that. Present your body a living sacrifice. Not just your spirit, your body, because matter matters. God says he's going to remake this world. He's going to create a new heaven, a new earth, a new universe. There's going to be mountains. There's going to be seas. There's going to be food. It's going to be a new world, and it's going to be made of matter, and we're going to live somehow in it. I don't know how it's going to work exactly. Okay, so why do we love the world? Because people are made in the image of God. Because we're charged with taking care of the world. That's part of our job. And the third thing is, is because our work in this world can glorify God. Your work, whatever you do, can glorify God. There is a false distinction. It is sometimes, Bob, you work at a church. Your job is spiritual. I work at the shipyard. My job is secular. And that's a false distinction. I, I'm no closer to God than you are. My prayers don't get through the ceiling any better than yours do. And I know sometimes people don't believe that because I've had times in the past where people say, Bob, will you pray about this? And I say, hey, you should also call the church. We'll put it on the prayer list so other people, that's okay, just you. And I'm just like, you might be wasting your time with me because maybe God and I aren't doing so well right now. And some of these people that take that prayer list, they, they, they pray. They pray. And so, Listen, at First Church, 410, Flannery O'Connor Street, this is just as much, as much a part of the world as the shipyard. The people who work at this church can struggle with worldliness just as much as people at the shipyard struggle with worldliness. Especially Jose. Pray for him. I really, that's important. I'm doing the best I can with him, but mm, it's just hard. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I say things. The world has this system. The world has this system, and we're a part of it. But don't love it. Don't love it. But there's also this world, these people, this physical place that we live. He says, I want you to love them. I want you to love that. I want you to work for the betterment of your society. Because that's what Christians do. I want you to reach out and serve others. That's what Christians do. They make it a better place because they're there. We're to love. We're to reflect God and his glory to the people around us. And so then we come to the final idea of, okay, he's working on this. Are you willing to be a part of it? Are you willing to make yourself available to the spirit or are you going to fight him? Because he wants to use you. Think about this. He wants to use you. 
to do something that will last for over five billion years. And the question is, what are you doing? Because you can do things like that. Investing in people, investing in things that affect this world for eternity. What an incredible privilege. Everyone else is just working for the here and now. They're just doing things for here and now. You can do something that will last forever. That's an incredible thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. And as we study your word, Lord, we pray that your heart, our hearts would be open, that your spirit would be working. And that your word, which is sharper than a two-edged sword, would penetrate right to our core and begin to change us. Father, help us not to settle for what this world says is success, but help us to look for the success that you bring into our lives. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship together. We thank you that you're here. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take an offering, and uh, as they come forward, I just want to say, again, if you are a guest here, uh, we are not asking you to give. This is what our regular members and our regular attenders and our members do as a part of their worship.